How are we? Are we doing well? Hey, um, it is an honor uh, to be here. I mean, everything, you know, Pastor Charlie, Dr. Dawes, whatever you want to call him, um, said, I mean, there, there are a few people, like our, our joke is, is we will spill blood in the street for each other. You know what I mean? And that's, that's probably a little bit more graphic than it needs to be from a preacher, but that's what we say. And that's our thing is, is like Charlie said, man, there, there are a few people in my life uh, that I consider um, a brother. You know, I'd help him bury the bodies, um, and I still have the dirt up under my fingernails. You know what I mean? And um, he is, I hope you understand this. And, you know, oftentimes when, when I get to travel and preach uh, for pastors and churches, sometimes you don't know the pastor. And you're actually getting to know them the first time that you're going to preach for them. So as you stand up to try to honor them, it's sometimes kind of weird because you don't want to like just make up things. You're like, he's a great man of God. And you have no idea really about this person. You're hoping they are. Um, but man, I, I, I was telling a guy this last night, um, the way that I look at every pastor and kind of, this sounds bad, judge who they are as a man is the state of their children and their marriage. There's a lot of great men who can build churches and organizations. Not every great man can build a great church organization and also build a great family. And I want you to know that you have a pastor that has not put the church over his family, has not put the church over his children. And guys, that is something in our world to be honored and praised. And so I need you to honor your pastor. He, um, I love you so much, bro. Like, I mean, your, your family. Um, I actually brought a picture of my family. I kind of do this every time because I feel like it's important for you to know a little bit about me. Um, so this is my family. I took my wife to London and Paris for her 40th birthday. Um, yeah, she's like, do you have to wear your stupid cowboy hat everywhere we go? I go, I'm like Ron Swanson. History didn't exist between before 1776, okay? Like, that's where we're at. So that's my wife, Becca. Uh, we will be married 20 years uh, this year. And yeah, she's very lucky. Yeah, she hit the jackpot. And, um, and then that's my son, Aiden, in the back. He is a sophomore in college. He's getting ready to transfer to the University of Georgia. Um, he has luscious long hair uh, that I am super jealous of. Uh, but unfortunately for him, he just got it trimmed a little bit, and he kind of looks like Farrah Fawcett right now. I mean, they did, a lot, they did a lot of layering. I walked into the house, and he goes, look at me. And I go, I don't know what to tell you at this point, dog. I was like, there's nothing you can do. And that's our daughter, Riley. Uh, Riley is, she turns 15 on Tuesday. Um, as you can see, she's a little bit lower in that picture. She has a tracheostomy feeding tube. She's actually the 12th known case in the world of a rare genetic disorder. Uh, it's all physical. Mentally, she's a 15-year-old little girl. So if you've never been disrespected by a child in a wheelchair, um, it's adorable. And you can't even be mad at it. And so that's my family. They're actually, my wife and my daughter are at winter camp right now for the church that we attend in Atlanta. And my son is hopefully not in prison at home. Um, <laughs> So listen, it, it is, it's, you know, I, I love getting to travel and communicate because I feel like because of certain situations that I've walked through in life that I kind of have a life message um, that, that I like to share. And the topic is kind of not always an easy one. And when I, when I called Pastor Charlie and I was like, hey, what series are you guys in? Because my job anytime I go somewhere is not just to preach a sermon I want to preach, but to help build the church that God has entrusted me to come and preach at. And he said, we're in a series called Basic. And what we're looking at is we're looking at basic 
principles in Christianity of how to grow closer to God, how to be a better Christian. I know y'all had Chris Owen last week talking about seeking God, who's also one of my super close friends and weirdly my boss at the same time. And so you had Dr. Owen and then next week you have Dr. Dawes. I'm just the idiot in the middle that has no letters in front of his name, y'all. It's just Josh. Um, And so, but I'm excited because I want to talk about something that I feel like is very, very, very important And it's basic, but it's hard. And what I want to talk about as we look at this idea of what are some basic things that we have to learn to do and what are some basic things that we have to have in our lives as we continue to follow Jesus, one of them is what do you do on the worst day of your life? And I know that that's not the topic that when you hear someone say it that you're like, sweet, suffering, let's talk about this. We all want to avoid it. That's normal. Every single one of us in here, we want, what we really love is for God to encapsulate us in a Holy Spirit bubble and nothing bad ever happened to us again. Like what I would love to say, and I know Pastor Charlie would, as a preacher and a communicator of God's word is, hey guys, listen, at the end of the service today, I'm going to give every one of you a chance to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to ask you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for you. And if you do that, then nothing bad will ever happen to you again in the rest of your life. I wish I could say that. I don't see that in the Bible a lot, though. And so what do we do? What do we do when our expectations don't meet our reality? What do we do on the worst day of our life? And here's the terrible news. All of us are going to have that day. And guys, I have seen this totally derail people's lives and their relationship with the Lord forever. And I've also seen peeper, people, I don't know what peeper are. That's a weird word, isn't it? I've seen peepers. Uh, that's also creepy. Um, I just ignore all that. Um, once again, not a doctor. And um, I've seen people who then, when something bad happens to them, they over-spiritualize it. And they don't want to deal with it. And they just try to, like, ignore it as if it's, that's equally as unhealthy, Or we just say things that sound good that we think are biblical that are not biblical. Like a lot of people, guys, give personal opinions like it's biblical advice. And like my mom does this all the time. And if she sees this mom, it's a different mom. She always says to me like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Nope. No, it doesn't. Not everything happens for a reason. Some things just happen. Like if you got in a wreck, that wasn't the Lord. You were changing your radio station and you weren't paying attention. And so what happens when we have the worst days of our lives, there's so many different venues and avenues that we go that if we don't have the correct response to it, it can really hurt your walk with the Lord. And it can really be a basic thing that I think that every Christian needs to know how to do in their life. So what I want to do is I want to teach you what to do and help you learn what to do when you have the worst day of your life. Amen? The way that we're going to look at this is we're going to look at Job in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. Now, I would guarantee you that what we are about to read, that this dude's day is worse than anything that any of us have ever had in this world. Like, So let me read it to you. It says this. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, 
Another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. What do you do with that? If you're Job in this moment and you haven't just gotten one piece of bad news, you've gotten four back to back and one guy couldn't even finish before another one ran in. What do you do with that? Now the reality is, is hopefully none of us are ever going to have this story. But I would say that's probably the worst day that you could ever have in your entire life. You've lost all of your income. You've lost all of your farmhands, your sheep, your everything, your crops. And you've lost all your children in one moment. What do you do? All of us are going to have days that are worst days ever. And what I believe that Job shows us is I believe that there's three things that Job shows us that he does. Now, here's the other thing about this. And, and this, this is hard. We want to believe if we do everything right and we're good Christians and you wake up every morning and you do your devotional and you open a window and a bird flies in and lands on your shoulder and you have your coffee mug and you sing hymns to the Lord that everything will be good and that God will be like, no, nothing bad shall happen to this child. <laughs> like, well, that's what we want to believe. But let me explain to you, this is the way the Bible describes Job. He was blameless before God, a man of complete integrity who feared the Lord and stayed away from evil. So this goes to show us that you can be the best Christian ever in the entire world to the point where God describes you that way. And you can still have the worst day of your life. So I want you to understand this isn't a, if I do better, God gives me better. This isn't like a checks and balance, and I know this is hard, and I know this isn't like always the most encouraging sermon, but I feel like it's one of those things that if we can learn this, guys, it helps us. And what I believe Job shows us is on the worst day of his life, Job does three things. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we see Job is do this. Job makes a choice. Job made a choice was the first thing that he did. Listen to what it says in Job 1, 20 through 22. So he's lost everything. And I mean everything. He's lost everything in this moment. Job stood up, tore his robes in grief, then shaved his head. I've been down that road and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. I can almost guarantee you and I love what Liz said up here a few moments ago in worship when she talked about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. I can guarantee you that Job's feelings in that moment were like, God is awesome. God is so good. I mean, I just lost everything. Praise him. I can almost guarantee you that his, his human natural feelings were not the thing that he was laying on, 
was not the things that he was standing on. What I think happened is that in this moment, Job made a choice. The choice that Job made was, I, what, do I continue to worship the Lord as I know who he is, or do I ride the emotions of my feelings? Every time, guys, that we have one of the days that we would consider the worst day of our life, please hear me, you have a choice to make on how you respond. You have a choice in that moment to say, man, do I believe what the Bible says about the Lord in his goodness, or do you allow your circumstances to change the heart of God? Our circumstances will never change who God is. Ever. So you have a choice to make. And I think Job in that moment, he stands up, he tears his robe, he shaves his head, and he says, praise be the Lord. I think that that was a choice for Job. All of us, when you have these days and you have these moments, please understand that sometimes your feelings will betray your theology. And you have got to, with everything in you, say, God, and I just do it normally. God, I don't like this. God, I'm kind of, listen, God, if I'm honest with you, I'm a little ticked at you right now. There's a band that I love called the Avett Brothers, and they have a song. Their, their grandfather was a pastor, and they took some of his old sermons and turned them into songs. And one of the songs, uh, there's a line that says, I sometimes use cuss words when I pray. I get that. And don't look at me like y'all are holy and y'all never dropped one in the presence of the Lord. You know what I mean? And God was like, well, I never. You know what I mean? And he's like, Jesus, we're out of here. God can handle it. But you have to understand that there's a choice that you have to make in that moment. And your feelings probably are not the best dictator of the choice that you make. I'll never forget when our daughter was born, um, I was in the delivery room with my wife. And she had a C-section. Um, you know, so there's the curtain there. And they said, hey, don't look behind the curtain. Well, if you tell me not to do something, I'm definitely going to do it. So I looked behind it. That's nightmare fuel. And so, so they, they bring my daughter out like Simba in The Lion King. And all of a sudden, I can tell something's immediately wrong. The reason I can tell something's immediately wrong is because how fast everybody starts moving. So I'm standing up and I'm looking at my daughter and the doctors. My wife is looking at my face and all of a sudden they are frantic and they are moving quick and they're running around the room. And as a dad and a mom, you get this if you've had children, what you're thinking is I just want to hear the baby cry. Never heard that. They put her on a, on a table. They start ambu bagging her, forcing air into her, and then they take her out of the room um, and her body was completely limp when they took her out of the room. A nurse comes back and gets me, and she says, Mr. Turner, we need to talk to you, and she takes me to a broom closet. I remember specifically it was a broom closet, thinking to myself, y'all should have better rooms for news like this. So I'm in this broom closet, and they take me, they go, um, we've called an ambulance. Um, we're going to have to transport your daughter to a NICU. Uh, we had had her in a new hospital, and the NICU wasn't born, built yet. And they said, we don't know if your daughter's even going to survive the ride to the NICU. And I said, can I see her? And they're like, yes, but you cannot touch her. I walk around a corner. She's on this table under a light. She has IVs in both, both feet, both hands, her head, and she's hooked up like she's back on an umbilical cord. So I have to go back and tell my wife. And I have to go and tell all of our friends and family. And I am a mess, which you would be. My wife goes to recovery. And I can remember walking back because the ambulance had come to where they were gonna load her in the ambulance. And I can remember there was this moment, guys, as clear as day, and I can tell you it was the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in that moment. I was walking, the nurse's station was on my right, and I'm walking back, and it was like 
God ask me the question, what do you choose in this moment? Do you choose to go with your emotions? Do you choose to fear? Do you choose anger? Do you choose frustration? And listen, I'm not saying that those emotions were not there. But they, I, I, there was a difference between the choice of just riding those emotions and the choice of choosing something else, which was Jesus. And I can remember walking so clearly down this hall and saying out loud, like not super loud to freak everybody out in the hospital, but I said, God, whether she lives or dies, I'm with you. And what I did in that moment is I just made this decision, God, that I'm not choosing anything different of who you are based off of the circumstances of my day to day. Listen to me, please. Your circumstances do not change the character of God. And there is going to be a moment in your life where you are going to have to choose in pain and suffering God or something else. And I, that's not easy. And I don't say this like it is easy. I'm not like, buck up, champ, you've got this. Like, it's very hard. It's very difficult to go through and do these sort of things. So here's my advice to you. As much as you can, choose now what your response will be. Choose it now. Say, man, I, I, in that moment, I may not be able to go all that way. So right now, God, I'm going to choose that when worse comes to worse and all hell breaks loose, when worse comes to worse, Jesus, I'm going to choose you. And Jesus, I'm going to need you to help me choose you in this moment. The first thing we see is that Job made a choice. You guys with me? The second thing, this is one of those messages where you don't know if people are like, oh, dear God, or like just zoned out completely on you because it's heavy. I'm just going to be real honest. The second thing that we see Job do is Job wrestled. He makes a choice, and then Job wrestles. And I know that's a weird point. Hear me out. Job 3, 11 through 13. This is what Job says to God. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Job 3.20, he says this. Oh, why give light to those in misery and life to those who are better, bitter? Here's what Job is asking God. If you knew all of this was going to happen, why did you even let me be born? God, why? Like, if you knew that in one moment, in one day, I would lose everything, God, why didn't you just let me die? God, why would you even have me be born in the first place? What we see here is that Job is wrestling with the Lord. Listen, when you go through trials and you go through suffering and you have the worst day of your life, there are going to be questions that come up. There are going to be questions where you question the goodness of God. There are going to be questions where you're going, is this causation? Is this allowance? Is God sovereign? Is there pre like you're going to go down all of these different rabbit holes. Can I say something? I think it's really good to wrestle. And God can handle your wrestling. God can handle your questions. God can handle you going into prayer and going, God, for real, man? Like I, I, I prayed this prayer one time. Hey, man. You know I'm on your team, right? Like, Lord, I'm your boy. Like, it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have these moments in life that don't make sense and go into the presence of the Lord and say, God, you got to help me. you got to help me figure it out. Now, here's the thing. The answer may not come immediately, but over time, what God will do is God will begin to reveal certain things to you that end up making sense that you wouldn't have been able to handle in the, in the, in the moment. 
it's okay to wrestle. I think it's a good thing. And here's why I think it's a good thing. It forces you to understand what it is you believe. I'm from the South, right? I don't know what y'all consider DC, but I'm like deep South. I'm Atlanta. It's just me and Jermaine Dupree up there hanging out and outcast. Okay. So I'm from Atlanta. So in Atlanta, one of the things that's been, we moved up there almost five years ago. One of the things that's been super weird before that I was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida in Orlando uh, with the Bishop Dawes. One of the things I've learned living in the South for so long, and I was this guy, our religion has just been handed to us by our parents. So, which is a good thing, but there were certain things that I believed just because that was what was handed to me. That's because of the way I was raised. That's the way that I grew up. You go to church on Sundays. This is the way we do things. Well, all of a sudden, my reality of having a special needs child and some of the things that I've been taught in the church world didn't mesh up, and it caused me to wrestle. But what the wrestling did is it taught me to know the Lord in a deeper way that I wouldn't have known him before if I hadn't wrestled. So I think when you go through hard times, sometimes it's actually just an invitation from the Lord for you to know him on a deeper level. Suffering and trials are opposite rails of the same train track. I mean, suffering and joy are opposite rails of of the same train track. There's joy because you are about to know the Lord in a way that not a lot of people know him. And it's suffering because it's suffering. And it's not always easy and it's not always pretty. But man, I, I can't say, you know, I can't say that I would do it all over again. Like I used to hear pastors say that stuff. Um, they used to, I, when I had my special need, when Riley, when she was born, I used to hear pastors, they'd preach on suffering and they'd be like, if I could know the Lord again, the way I know him now, I would do it all over again. And then it made me feel like a really bad Christian and like a really bad pastor. So I'll just be honest with y'all. If Jesus walks in this room today and says, hey, Josh, um, you can never preach again, but your daughter will walk. I'm out. Peace. That's okay. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have these things inside of you. But here's the key. Continually take them back to the Lord. Continually take them back to Jesus. When I wrestle, I don't wrestle alone. I'm wrestling with God. I'm wrestling with Jesus. It's okay to wrestle. It's actually going to help you know the Lord better than you know him now. So Job wrestles with the Lord. The other thing that Job wrestles with is Job wrestles with his friends. So what we see is Job has three friends show up in Job chapter 2. At first, these friends are awesome. They just show up and they just cry and they weep and they mourn with Job. Then around chapter 3, a change happens. And what they start trying to do is diagnose why Job is going through what he's going through. Well, Job, you're probably going through this because you've sinned somewhere and now God's punishing you. Job, this is probably, you're probably, this is probably happening to you because you've, you've said something bad about God. And so they start giving him all these reasons that God would do the things that God has allowed or caused, whatever your philosophical or theological thing is there. But they're going through this. Can I tell you something? When someone is in a hardship and a trial, the last thing that they ever need is somebody to come in and tell them all the reasons that things may or may not be happening. One of the, one of the best verses ever is Romans 12, 15. And it says, when someone is in a trial and suffering, you weep with those who weep and you rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes the best thing that you can ever, ever do with somebody that is hurting and in a bad place is go and cry with them and not have answers. 
That is the best thing that you can do in that moment. And let me just say this. The other thing is that um, Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins. So God is no longer punishing us for the things that we do because Jesus was our punishment for our sins. So in that moment, and what we have to understand is God is not in heaven with a thing full of lightning bolts going, listen, uh, if you do that again, I'm going to get you because he already put that all on Jesus. Now there is a difference between correction and, and punishment. And the Bible is very clear that those whom the Lord loves, he rebukes and disciplines. So don't ever mistake correction for punishment because Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. Amen? The third and final thing is this. Job realizes. So Job made a choice. Job wrestles with the Lord. And then Job realizes something. So what's so interesting to me about the book of Job, I, love the, I have a whole tattoo sleeve of the book of Job, much to the dismay of my southern mother. Um, she's like, you might as well be a garbage man. I'm like, they make good money, mom. Like, so it's, it's my favorite book of the Bible because it, it helps me so much. So for 37 chapters, God says nothing. Job is like, come on, God. I mean, like, what's going on? And he's wrestling with the Lord. He's wrestling with his friends. For 37 chapters, God is dead silent. And then finally, in chapter 38, God speaks. I want to read to you what he says. Then the Lord answered Job. So just imagine, you've been crying out to God. You've been asking God questions. You've been wrestling with him. And God has said nothing. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its borders and it, as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far, no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the sea comes? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? And this is how you know, verse 21, that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. Because God says this, but of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created and you were so very experienced. I love that part. That he, God says nothing for all these chapters. He goes, Job, I got some questions for you. And he begins to lay out all these things that Job has no idea about. That goes on for three more chapters. God lays out everything. He actually asked Job at one moment, he says, can you hold the Pleiades, the constellation, in your hand? 
So he asks Job all these questions in Job's questioning. And this is how Job responds. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Could it be that sometimes the worst days of our lives are just too wonderful for us to understand? And I know that doesn't always make it easier. I actually have that on my arm, that last thing. Because what I always wanna remember is if the Lord is doing something that A, I don't like, and B, doesn't make sense to me, then maybe that the Lord is doing something that's just too wonderful for me to know. Maybe he's forming something in me. Maybe he's taking me through something so I can know him in a better way. Maybe he's forming something in me so I can help other people. Maybe he's forming something in me so that I would just have a deeper, more loving relationship with him and my identity as a man would not be about the things that I do or do not do, but my identity as a man would be about my relationship with the Lord. I'm sure a lot of you in here, you've been through some really hard times. Listen, the world is hard. I read a book recently that said there, that suffering is a, is a savage assault on the heart that the Lord is good. And I think all of us get that. But could it be, and this doesn't take away the pain, this doesn't take away the hurt, but could it be something that when we sit in these moments that we could have this reminder that Lord, I don't like this, and God, I don't understand this, and God, frankly, I'm a little ticked off at you. But Lord, could it be that you're just doing something that's too wonderful for me to know? Pastor Charlie and I um, went through a rough spot a few years ago with a church that we were previously connected with, and he and I were talking yesterday and how at the time it was so painful for both of us. And now we look back four years, four years, almost five years for me, same, I think three years, something like that for Pastor Charlie, and how it was actually God's hand of protection. Could it be the hard seasons of our life is actually protection from the Lord that from something in the future that we actually don't see coming? I look at my daughter and it's hard guys. She's not here so I can say this openly. She and I uh, do a Bible reading plan together. And uh, she came into my office this past week and she asked me a question. She says, is it okay for me to ask for God to heal me if Psalms 139 says he made me this way? And I went, you need to go talk to your mom. Um, I didn't say that, <laughs> I wanted to. I was in a long conversation with a 15 year old girl that is wrestling with who God is in suffering. It's hard. 
but I also see the way that she loves the Lord and how she's influenced so many people actually because of her challenges. And here's the thing to remember always. Our lives are not about us. Our lives are about Jesus Christ. And part of all of our roles on this side of eternity is to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. And I think sometimes the Lord looks at us and says, I'm going to allow some hardship in their life because I know they can handle it. And through them handling it, they're going to help more people know about my son, Jesus Christ. So could it be that the hard things of this earth are maybe sometimes too wonderful for us to know? And it's all about Jesus. All of it. So I just want to do two quick altar calls. Some of you in here, maybe for the first time ever, you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned. Dim the lights. Dim them now. Um, the Bible is clear. <laughs> go now. Go now. Uh, altar call. Altar call moment. <laughs> I love the church. They're so weird at times, aren't we? Um, <laughs> That was a hard transition, bro. <laughs> um, bring it back, Josh. Bring it back. Um, you know, the Bible's clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is that every person who's ever lived on this earth, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. And the Bible says that we confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that in that moment you are saved. That means you are reconciled to God. Not only are your sins separated from you as far away as the east is from the west, but you are also now the righteousness of Christ. So what that means is that when God looks at you, he does not see the things that you do and do not do. He sees what his son did for you on the cross. And some of you in here, maybe you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ. Some of you in here, you're just in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of the worst day of your life, the worst season of your life, the worst month or whatever it is. And there's something the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you're just saying, man, I just need to respond to that. So I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. If that's you and you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three and I'm just gonna ask you to raise a hand. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three and I'm just gonna ask you to raise a hand. One, two, three. Three. Amen, brother. Now, if you're in here and you just need to respond to this message, whatever that is for you, I'm going to count to three and I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise them. God, you see every hand in this room. God we, um, God, we thank you that our circumstances don't change who you are. Help us to remember, God, that you are good all the time. I pray for everyone that raised their hand, Lord, that if they're in a trial or a hardship, God, that you would give them the grace and the mercy and the love to know that you are with them in their trial and hardship. God, help them to make the choice that's not always easy. God, help them to be okay wrestling with you, God, and help us all to realize, Lord, that sometimes when we look at things and they don't make sense to us, that it's just you're doing something we don't understand. Help all of us with that, God.
And God, for every person that raised their hand in here to commit their life to your son, Jesus Christ, God, thank you that it is never the persuasive words of a man that changes anybody's heart. It is by your Holy Spirit, God, that you draw us to you. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our hearts and leading us to Jesus and the truth of who he is. Church, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. Um, and I just want you to repeat after me and let's, Hill City, let's say it like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Right now I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus, and be the Lord of my life. Amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for everybody? Hey, let's uh, stand to our feet. We're gonna go back into one song, and I just wanna encourage you in this moment, man, if you raise your hand for anything, just take a moment and let the Lord seal in your heart what he has spoken to you and the decision that you've made today. Amen.